0: Thank you, worship team, for leading us. We're continuing in our series in Matthew, and we are taking a specific look now at the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapters 5 to 7. And this morning, we're going to push pause on a section in chapter 5, verses 21 to 26. So I encourage you to take out a Bible. It might be on your phone. Uh, If you have brought your Bible, that's great. There are Bibles under the chairs in front of you, and so you can take out that Bible, and it's on page 858, 858. All of us know that anger can spill out of our mouths and come out in words that can harm or hurt. Uh, some of us, the, the ones who are a little bit more spiritual, know what it's like to keep our mouths shut, and yet you also know what it's like to ha- harbor anger in your heart. All of us, that's a common experience for all of us. So whether you're really good about keeping it inside or not— We all share this common experience, and I think on the deepest levels, we actually know that there are, there's a type of anger, it's a type of vilifying anger that creates contempt in our hearts, that is really destructive. And so this morning, if you're like the rest of us, and you know that there are moments in your life that you struggle with anger, I encourage you to listen this morning. Uh, John Household is going to come and read Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 to 26. So I invite you up, John, come and read that passage of scripture for us, please.
1: Matthew 5:21 to 26. Murder begins in the heart. You've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder, and whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says, you fool, will be subject to hellfire. So, If you are offering your gift on the altar, and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister, and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court, or your adversary will hand you over to the judge, and the judge to the officer, and you will be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny." This is the word of the Lord.
0: Will you pray with me as we approach this passage of Scripture? So, Father, We, uh, at Cornerstone, as we walk through this gospel, we don't want to skip over some of the parts that are challenging. And so we believe that even today, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you have words to speak to us. And so we pause in these moments, and we draw near to you, and we ask that you would open our hearts and our ears to your voice for your glory, and for the namesake of Jesus. Amen. Recently, a young mom and her six-year-old son were merging onto the QEW, and, and the son looks over at the young mom and says, uh, why do, why, Mom, why do the idiots only come out when Daddy drives? We, uh, we giggle uh, a little sheepishly because maybe... Sometimes that's true for some of us, and, uh, and maybe it's a little bit of a nervous giggle because maybe uh, you're the one <laughs> when the idiots come out. And, and the reality, though, is that uh, even though these, we, we kind of laugh about this kind of name-calling, here we come to this passage of Scripture where Jesus gets really serious about the matters of the heart. And, and so, this morning, Jesus gives us a bit of a wake-up call. And sometimes scripture is like that, and we have to face up to that. And Jesus is calling us to adjust our attitude. And, and we're going to find out a little, while, uh, a little bit later why that's the case. So, I just want to re- remind for a little bit, give us a little bit of context, again, of how we came to this particular passage uh, all through Matthew now, we've seen that Matthew wants to set Jesus up as the new and better Moses. That's one of the main themes. And so we see Jesus, uh, after he was born, they had to escape into Egypt. And then he, uh, he comes out of Egypt, just like uh, Israel, as Moses leads Israel out of Egypt. And then they walk through the Red Sea, just as Jesus goes through the waters of baptism. And then he enters into the 40 days of fasting and temptation in the wilderness as Moses led uh, the Israelites in 40 years of wilderness and and so now we get to the point Jesus is preaching uh, this famous sermon and Matthew wants us to continue to see him in light of Moses And so Jesus goes back, just as Moses then brings the law, uh, the moral law particularly, down from the mountain on tablets, Jesus in creating this people for the kingdom, this new people for the kingdom, is now, he's not making a new law as we heard last week, but he's actually clarifying it and reinterpreting it for the people of God. And Jesus sets himself up here right now in this sermon as the ultimate authority on how to interpret the moral law and what it means for each one of us in our lives. So Jesus is saying things like, you have heard that it was said to the ancients or heard that it was said to, to people of old, but I say to you. And so he's setting himself up As the authority. And so if Jesus is the authority on interpreting God's moral law for the lives of his people, then we need to adjust our attitudes to align with his teaching. And so this is the context, Matthew chapter 5 here, then Jesus uh, is now gonna hearken back six different themes. And hearken back to this old testament law and we see that here he says you've heard it said but i say to you and he's going to do that six times now and we're going to look at the very first one when he goes back to the ten commandments he's going back to the to the sixth of the ten commandments first that says thou shalt not murder and so jesus is going to take this commandment he said you have heard it said but i say to you and so he is now like Moses. He's bringing the law to the people of God. And so it's important for us as the people of God to listen closely and carefully as Jesus defines the Old Testament moral code for what it means to live in the kingdom of God. We need to pay attention to it, and we need to align our lives with it. And so we're going to walk through, as, as a good sermon does, three points here together. The first one is firstly, we need to adjust our attitude to align with his teaching on anger. So Jesus, it looks like this, this little section is about murder. It's not. It's actually about anger. And so again, we see him quote the sixth commandment, Thou shalt not murder. And he says again, the first of these six times, You have heard it said, and he doesn't specifically say that. He says... You have heard that it was said to the ancients. Or you have heard that it was said to our ancestors. And so Jesus, in saying that, is not particularly challenging the Old Testament moral code. Again, as as Sabrina said last week, he didn't come to make a new law for us. He actually came to clarify it. And what he's saying is, I have the true interpretation. And so he's challenging the traditional rabbinic interpretation of this law. And how he's doing that is is the early, the the tradition, the rabbinic tradition is saying, if you commit murder, you are subject to to judgment. And that word there, what he's saying is you're subject to the council of judges. Not only did the Sanhedrin, the spiritual council exist, there was also a council of judges that adjudicated legal matters for people. And so they interpreted this law to say if you commit murder you're gonna answer to the judges of israel and then jesus says but i say to you i'm going to reinterpret this for you what i say to you is if you have anger in your heart you're going to answer to the judgment of god and so he reinterprets this is actually not specifically about murder it goes much deeper than that and so murder of course is a problem jesus isn't saying that murder is the problem he's saying it's the symptom he's saying the problem needs to be dealt with way before murder happens it's a matter of the heart you do you remember the rich young ruler some of you might remember that story of the rich young ruler which happens later in matthew and this young man comes up to him and he's talking about what it means to to obey god and and Jesus says, have you obeyed all the commandments? And he's kind of referring to this moral code, the, the Ten Commandments. And he says, yes, I've kept every single one. And Jesus says, well, but you lack one thing. And he makes it a matter of the heart. And he points out that this young man has a love for money. And it's going to lead him astray. Of course, the scripture says a love of money. The love of money is the root of all evil. Money's not the root of all evil. the love of it is. And so he's challenging again the heart. Here's what the rabbinical tradition often did, and this is what Jesus is challenging. It would make it all about outward obedience to a set of rules. And Jesus is saying that doesn't solve the problem of the heart. And so this sin is going to continue to happen unless we deal with where it comes from. We can't only deal with the symptoms, and so Jesus begins to make it firstly about anger. And I think, like the Pharisees, we too can sometimes downplay the role of anger in our lives. We can excuse it as a problem. However, listen to the Apostle John, who echoes Jesus' teaching in 1 John 3:15. The Apostle John says this: Everyone who hates his brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. And so Jesus is saying, listen, we need an attitude adjustment. We need to adjust our attitude about anger to see it as a serious problem that we need to, uh, we need to get healing. This anger is often a type of anger that vilifies or it dehumanizes other people. It takes somebody created in the image of God, and it makes them less human. And he's saying it's this kind of anger. Now, a quick word on anger. Anger in and of itself is not evil. Anger is a natural human emotion. And as you, every single one of you knows, it rises up in us, sometimes unprompted, uh, sometimes prompted by things that (laughs) are really annoying. Ephesians 4.26, Paul says this. Be angry and do not sin. He recognizes anger is going to happen. And what happens is Paul makes it about what we do with our anger. Be very careful about how you allow your anger to be expressed. What your anger is doing inside of you. How your anger is focused. Don't sin. Don't let the sun go down. Don't let it fester. Don't let it boil inside of you deal with it quickly don't give the devil an opportunity paul says and we do see jesus get angry in fact this very same word is used in connection with jesus when jesus on the sabbath is going to heal this guy with a shriveled hand and he says to the pharisees he says should should we not care for this beloved chosen one like this beautiful creation of god and the and the Pharisees are you know they remain silent on the issue. You tell us. And this word here is used. Jesus gets angry. And so a righteous anger is related to sin and injustice. Jesus gets angry when when the word is used of, of Jesus, which is seldom. When the word is used, we we even when it's not used, and we see some actions like him turning over the tables and fashioning some, a whip out of something. It's it's. almost always about people who stop other people from being able to get to God and so so righteous anger the type of anger we see in Jesus and of course he reflects his father is an anger about sin and injustice an unrighteous anger I think the anger that if you're like me we feel most of the time is kind of a petty and personal anger it's an anger that rises up when we've been personally offended when our ego has been bruised and that type of anger is often an anger that lashes out and tears down somebody else because we when we experience something like our anger uh, or our ego being bruised what we want to respond with in turn is to tear that person down so we can build ourselves up that's unrighteous anger James 1.20 says this, For human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. Human anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. So often our anger is not a righteous anger. Think about Jesus and his own ego. When his ego was attacked, when his person was attacked, even right up to the very end, he didn't respond the same way that he did to the Pharisees in those moments where they were stopping people from coming to God, when they were putting barriers in their way. When he was beaten and spit upon and crucified, he responded in grace and mercy. We get more irate at somebody cutting us off in traffic than we do at the fact that the Niagara region is one of the human trafficking capitals of Canada. This is the difference between unrighteous and righteous anger. And so Jesus is saying, listen, if Jesus is the ultimate authority on interpreting the Old Testament moral code, what it means for our lives, then we need to adjust our understanding and align it with his teaching on anger. Our hearts, Jesus is saying, are full of murder. Our hearts are full of murder and they need healing. Secondly, we need to adjust our attitude. If you look at verse 22, we need to adjust our attitude about insult. So firstly, anger. Then Jesus talks about insult. He says, whoever insults his brother and sister will be subject to the court, which now he's talking about the Sanhedrin. Before, it was the the justice's Uh, the judges, now he's talking about the spiritual leaders. If you insult somebody, you might get hauled in front of the spiritual leaders and be reprimanded. Now, we need to remember that Jesus was born as a Middle Eastern Jew. And that means he was raised in an honor-shame culture, unlike our guilt-innocence culture. That's the culture that we live in in the West. In the East, it's an honor-shame culture and insulting somebody's character was the equivalent of, like, character assassination. We've heard that term. And I use that term specifically here, right? Because I think it applies. This was a big deal. We need to look here. He says these terms. Let's take a look at the terms specifically. If you're using this Black Bible, maybe your Bible, it actually uses the Aramaic term. If you're in this, in this CSB if you look, it says insults, and there's a little H in verse uh, 22, insults. And then if you go in the H, you take that to the bottom of your notes, it says, literally whoever says raka, an Aramaic term of abuse that puts someone down, insulting someone's intelligence. This is like calling somebody an airhead, or this is like calling somebody, my, one of my favorite terms, like a dipstick. This is calling somebody like an idiot, right? This is, you don't know anything, you're stupid. And then the next word here is translated as fool, it's moros, where we get our English word moron. And so Jesus is saying, somebody who calls somebody, you know, a blockhead and a moron or an idiot and a moron, he says, you might be called in front of the Sanhedrin for that. And historically, we know this to be true. You might be called in front of the Sanhedrin for assassinating somebody's character in public. But if you call those things, don't forget that that God is the one who's really watching. And you can be in danger of the fires of hell for assassinating somebody's character. Because what you're doing is you're tearing down a beautiful creation of the Almighty God with your words. And so we need to be very careful with our words. We need, to, we need to seriously, we need to understand the seriousness of this kind of character insult. Now, I need two volunteers. Kids, I need two brave volunteers. We're going to do a game show. So, uh, and if you don't volunteer, um, I'm going to call you like they do on the, the Price is Right I'm gonna call your name and be like, come on down. And Matt, Matt Weintz, I'm gonna invite you to come up and bring your camera nice and close so the people online can see our contest, okay? So two kids, I need, it's gonna be contest. Benny Bain, come on down. (laughs) Okay, one more, we need one more. One more, don't be shy. There's gotta be somebody, there's gotta be somebody. I'm not looking in anybody's direction. There's people trying to avoid eye contact. (laughs) Who's looking brave? Who's (laughs) looking who's looking brave? Come on, guys. Okay, I'm gonna pick a name. I'm gonna pick a name. Jacob, let's go. Yes. You got voluntold by your mom. Okay, this game this game. You're going to take this tube of toothpaste. On this side, the congregation is going to be the fans of Benny Bain, okay? So let's test that out. Win the game, you need to cheer for Ben, okay? So everybody cheer for Ben. Very good, very good. And this side, you're going to cheer for Jacob Froze. okay? Everybody try that out now, cheering for Jacob Froze. Might have been better. It was slightly more higher pitched. I'm not sure what that means, but I'm going to pre-start this for you. When the timer begins, which is simply me saying go, you are going to take these tubes of toothpaste, and the first one to get out the most in the shortest amount of time is going to win a prize—a beautiful chocolate egg filled with a fondant filling. <laughs> okay, are you ready? Any marks? You got a cheer. It's set. Go. Stop! Okay. This is really good. This is, oh, it's so even. Okay, now we have to decide who won. Here are the plates. It's a little sloppy. Everybody can see that? And here are the tubes. I mean, you did un... Yours was squi- more squished. That's good. And here are the tubes. So now we're going to cheer for who we thought won. Okay, Benny Bain. They're not... This side is not even cheering. It's weird. I don't know why. Sorry, guys. And, and, and Jacob Froze. I think Jacob Froze round one. Okay, round two. So Jacob Froze, you're definitely going to get a prize. Round two is now you have to take the toothpaste and put it back into the tubes as fast as you can. Ready? Go! Just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. That would be, that'd be very messy. But your face, you also get a prize for your face when I said part two. Okay, thank you, gentlemen. Give them a round of applause. You can go sit down. And enjoy your fondant-filled cream egg. Obviously, you get the point. Words so easily flow out, but are nearly impossible to put back. Right? Nearly impossible to take back the words that can hurt, the words that can cause pain, the words that we think sometimes are even in fun or sarcasm. But it's impossible to put them back in, (laughs) just like it's really hard to put toothpaste back into a toothpaste holder. Listen to what one scholar says about what these words meant in the original 1st century culture. She says this, slurs such as fool should not be seen as mere harmless words, but rather as genuine social weapons intended to cause serious injury. When uttered by influential persons, the use of such negative labeling can cause real damage. And as such, later rabbinic law, for example, deems it worthy of punishment in the courts. And one Talmudic saying even compares public insults to the spilling of blood. In that culture, Jesus is bringing these terms up because it was a serious offense. But Jesus is saying it's not so serious that you might get called in front of the Sanhedrin. When we belittle and dehumanize the same way our anger can dehumanize, when we use words that tear people down instead of build them up, What we're doing is an affront to God who created these beautiful image bearers. So he's saying, we need to align. We need to to align our understanding of the usage of our words with how God through Jesus Christ has shown us. Listen to James 3 8. No one can tame the tongue. It's a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. C.S. Lewis, in one of his most famous sermons, he he calls people, he calls this whole idea as the weight of glory. Every created human being contains the weight of glory of his glory, the image of God, the, his, the very impression of God. Every human being. And so C.S. Lewis says this, The load or weight or burden of my neighbor's glory should be laid daily on my back, a load so heavy that only humility can carry it, and the backs of the proud will be broken. Our burden is to speak life. And not death to honor the image of God not only in our brothers and sisters not only in our faith family but everyone and so again if Jesus is the ultimate authority that he says he is if he's the ultimate authority on on interpreting this Old Testament law to 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 be really talking about anger and really talking about how we treat one another then we need to adjust our attitude To his teaching okay thirdly we need to adjust our attitude about reconciliation now jesus shifts and he starts a movement towards what then does it look like in this context if we know that there's this kind of conflict we deal with we deal with this anger and sometimes it comes out and we hurt one another and he gives two short examples the first example is about somebody who's going to worship and so i want you to to understand that jesus is preaching to a group of Galileans. Right? So what he's saying is, when you go to worship, and and you've shown up at the temple, and you've paid way too much for that that half-decent lamb in the courtyard, and and you've brought it now to the altar, and you're about to give it to the priest, and right before you do, you remember that back at home in your home church, somebody's got something against you, and it's maybe because of something you said, or there's some some kind of conflict. He says, go back the three days that it took you to get there, And make it right so that you can make the journey three days back to the temple and worship again. He's kind of using hyperbole, right? He's saying, he's saying, drop everything before you come to worship. Drop everything and make things right with your sister or your brother in the faith. If you know that there's a conflict, if you know that somebody has something against you, if you know that there's something between you, make the three-day journey. It's almost like somebody who forgot their credit card at the, at the register at the grocery store and you have to leave your cart full of lamb, right? And then you go home and you got to come back. This is what Jesus is saying. Like, go home and come back. I was almost tempted to do this. It be, can be mean this morning, but I was like, if you know that you have somebody, there's something in a relationship, go home right now, walk out of the church. Like, this is how serious Jesus is taking this. And it's so serious, the scripture actually talks about our relationships to one another. Psalm sixty-six eighteen 18 says, if I had been aware of the malice in my heart, you know, that burning anger, the contempt, the Lord would not have listened. If I had been aware of some of the stuff going on in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. This is why Jesus is saying, drop the gift. Come into worship. If you're just trying to appease your conscience by going to Sunday church service regularly, but you have a guilt complex around relationships in your life, then follow the part of Alcoholics Anonymous that says, make a list of the people that you've wronged, and go make it right. And then come back to worship with a clear conscience. This is serious stuff. And I can't soften it for us this morning. I have to just put it out there. Later, Peter even says, and it's it's in the context of marriage, and for, for those of us who are married, we we might get married, we might get this uh, But he says when there's conflict like your prayers are hindered right like sometimes maybe some of us have felt like we're in a a spiritual wilderness and we just don't know why we can't hear the voice of god or we we don't know why worship on sunday morning always feels so flat it may be because your relationships that there's a serious conflict in it that you need to deal with so if Jesus is the ultimate authority on how to interpret the Old Testament law, moral law, then we need to change our attitude about reconciliation. The second one, of course, the second little anecdote that he says is, if, if you're on the way to the court and somebody's going to sue you, and maybe it's around money, I don't know, uh, but, but you're walking there, and uh, it says, like, what the Greek says is, make friends quickly before you even get to court. Like, be the type of person who's amiable, who's likable, that you settle your accounts before you even have to go to court, right? Like, settle it up, even if it means taking a hit, even if it means having to do a three-day journey, even if it means taking at personal cost. Make it right. Make it right with the person. Make sure that your relationships, that there's nothing between you. Be an amiable. Don't be combative and cantankerous that's a good word kids remember that word cantankerous write it down don't be combative and cantankerous looking for a fight always being defensive don't be that type of person jesus is saying be a type of person who makes the first move i think too often when our own egos in conflict is messy right it's often not like who did the first thing it's like sometimes we even forget who, who did the first thing. And now we're just angry. We don't want anything to do with the other person. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter who did what first. Be, you be the first one to go make it right. Jesus was the first one. He made the first move. He was the one who crossed the gap. He was the one who came to us, holding out an olive leaf, an olive branch, and saying, let's reconcile. And he's calling his people in the kingdom to be the same to do the same thing and so in conclusion part of our conclusion and part of our response this morning is going to be to observe communion and so if jesus is the ultimate authority on interpreting scripture and we need to align our attitudes about these things to what his teaching is I want to say if you've struggled with anger if you have hurt if you have listen all week this was a tough sermon to prepare i'm searching my own heart right we're all subject to the holy spirit's conviction on this but there's incredibly good news for you that if you confess your sins he is what he's faithful and just and he will what he will forgive so here we are at the table people just like those apostles who said after the conversation with the rich young ruler and 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 he's saying you know sell everything you have and come follow me and and the disciples are like then who can get to heaven answer is no one apart from what's impossible for man is possible for God no one can get to heaven except through the the sacrifice and the shed blood of the son of God and so all of us are on the same level the same playing field here and so the beauty the good news this morning is that when we come and we confess our sin and we say God man my anger It is unholy it's unrighteous sometimes and my words they they come out and even if it's just sarcasm or even if I think it's funny they're they're really meant to hurt they're really meant to belittle somebody you can come to the Lord today and you can confess it and there's forgiveness secondly not only that is that amazing news there's more amazing news The Holy Spirit comes to dwell inside of us. And the fruit of his presence in our lives is love. His very presence begins to permeate at a cellular level. And we begin to love like Christ's love, which is a self-sacrificing love that's not affronted by when our ego is hurt and bruised, but it responds in love. And the Holy Spirit becomes our teacher. Teaching us what it means to extend the same kind of reconciliation that Jesus has extended to us. That's the beauty this morning. I'm going to invite the worship team up and the folks who are going to serve communion. Please come and get ready. And as they do, I'm just going to explain how we'll do it. There's going to be two stations uh, here. And we're going to invite you to come up these outside aisles. And you can return either down the middle or the very outside. It's a little more squishy, but you can do that as well. So please come up these uh, two outside middle aisles. And uh, you'll be served communion in a few moments as we continue in our worship. In preparation for the fellowship of the Lord's Supper, we are called to examine ourselves. And so I want to give us in prayer the opportunity to, just a few moments, to examine ourselves on these topics. Have we aligned our hearts with the teaching of Christ on these matters? Communion, particularly, is for all of those who would confess that Jesus is Lord, and that if you're visiting with us this morning, that you would be in right fellowship with your own local church, and that, uh, that your life is a life that desire you want you desire your life to line up with the things of Jesus and you want it to look more like Christ and if that's true of you we invite you to partake this morning to join us in that Um, historically and in scripture um, it's often the normal pattern for those folks to be baptized and so if you've not been baptized One of us pastors would love to chat with you about that and what that means for our spiritual uh, life and, uh, and uh so please chat with us about that but we invite you to the table this is a table where we can come and we can confess and find forgiveness and so will you pray with me lord in these moments together we remember that on the night when you were betrayed you took bread christ jesus And when you had given thanks, you broke it. And you said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And so, Jesus, as we take the bread, we want to remember what you've done for us. We want to walk in freedom and forgiveness. And in the same way, you took the cup after supper. And Jesus, you said, this is the cup of a new covenant, a new promise, a new relationship do this as often as you drink it in remembrance and so this morning as we take the cup we remember the blood that was shed for us and we proclaim your salvation to each other we proclaim it publicly that we can come to you that you lived the life we should have lived you fulfilled the law on our behalf and you died the death we should have died and now You've given us new life to live in your kingdom. Would you fill us again with your spirit as we celebrate and worship together? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Will you please stand together?